We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome into episode 516 of the Pack-A-Day podcast. My name is Andy Herman. You can always follow me on Twitter at AndyHermanNFL. I am a writer and editor for Packer Report. Excited. It is Packers game day, the last Monday night football game of the year. Seems absolutely crazy to say. Of course, the 11-3 Packers travel to Minnesota to take on the 10-4 Minnesota Vikings. A lot of playoff implications in place. We'll get to all of those in just a moment. But before we kind of kick that off today and start breaking down a little bit about uh, Packers and Vikings, let's take a look at some of the things that happened around the NFL today. I want to kind of jump in right away, uh, start the discussion with some of the games that took place. Uh, I'm going to kind of focus on some of the uh, the NFC games and, and some of the games that really affected potentially the the Packers and the standings as things go on. Uh, we start by uh, you know Saints picking up a 38 to 28 win over the Titans. Uh, Eagles beat the Cowboys 17 to nine, which should pretty much wrap up that number four seed for the Eagles. I believe uh, should the Eagles lose next week and the Cowboys win, they could flip flop, but it would certainly seem like uh, the Eagles would get that number four seed if they take care of business next week. Uh, the Cardinals pick up a big 27 to 13 win over the Seahawks. None other than Brett Hundley helps him do that, which is just a crazy storyline. 
Of course, uh, Green Bay needed the Cardinals to beat the Seahawks in order to really keep their number one seed hopes alive. There were a couple of different options, I think, with uh, some ties involved, but uh, for all intents and purposes, uh, they needed the Cardinals to win that game in order to keep that number one seed alive. Uh, Kyle Murray goes down with an injury, and who comes in and helps uh, the Cardinals finish off that game? But of course, former Packers quarterback Brett Hundley uh, really ran the ball well and really helped them kind of seal that victory. Uh, you know, so that. Uh, That was an incredible storyline as as things went on today, and especially with the Cardinals taking down the Seahawks. And uh, if you go back to Saturday night, of course, uh, the 49ers beat the Rams 34 to 31, which looked like at that point that was probably going to end any of the Packers' real legitimate chances at going uh, into that number one seed. Uh, But uh, of course, the Cardinals beat the Seahawks, and uh, now Green Bay still has that option available. If we kind of take a look at the standings right now, uh, as we speak at this moment, and there's a lot that's going to change as uh, the rest of the season rolls on, and certainly the Packers and their two games will play a big piece in this as well. But as we stand at this very moment, uh, the 49ers have the the one seed, the Saints have the two, the Packers have the three, the Eagles have the four, the Seahawks have the five, and the Vikings have the six. So if the season were to end right now, the Packers would be taking on the Vikings in Green Bay during wildcard weekend. And if they won, they would go to the Saints uh, in New Orleans in the divisional round. And then if they won from there, likely going to uh, San Francisco. Otherwise, if uh, you know Seattle or Philadelphia upset San Francisco in San Francisco, then they would end up back in Lambeau. But a lot of things can still happen between now and the playoffs. And I kind of did a very deep dive, and that's what I'm going to kind of spend the majority of my time on today. I know this doesn't necessarily always lend itself well to a podcast. Sometimes it's kind of easier to read through the different scenarios, but I'm going to try to explain it as best as I can. There's a lot left to happen. As I mentioned, there are five games left that will ultimately shape the Packers playoff seeding from here on out. And those five games, Packers-Vikings on Monday Night Football, Packers-Lions next week on at noon on Sunday, Saints-Panthers noon on Sunday, Vikings-Bears noon on Sunday, and then the last game that will affect them uh, potentially is 49ers-Seahawks on Sunday night football, the last the last game of the regular season. So those are the five games that will affect the Packers seeding as things go on. If you look at all of the different combinations of those five games, not including ties, I'm not going to get into ties here and uh, what could happen in those specific situations. I'm going to assume that in those five games, there's either a winner or a loser. And if you kind of take it that way, there's 32 different possible combinations of outcomes that could take place. Again, not including any ties that would take place. So 32 different combinations. Of those 32 combinations, Green Bay would get the one seed in four out of the 32 scenarios. Green Bay would get the two seed in 12 out of the 32 scenarios. They would get the three seed in 12 out of 32 scenarios. They cannot in any scenario get the number four or number five seed. And they would get the six seed in four out of those 32 scenarios. So uh, odds are they're going to be the number two or the number three seed. There are a couple you know, options in play for them still to get the one seed and a couple options in play for them to get the six seed. But again, they cannot get the four or the five. If you want to look at the two big outliers, how they would potentially get the one seed, probably the easiest way to go about doing that. Green Bay wins twice. They beat the Vikings. They beat the Lions. And Seattle beat San Francisco. Uh, 
no matter what else happens, if that's the case, if Green Bay wins twice and Seattle beats San Francisco on, on Sunday night football, Green Bay would end with the number one seed with home field advantage throughout the playoffs and the playoffs would go through Lambeau Field. So, you know, you could you could potentially stop right there. If you're looking for best case scenario, that is best case scenario. Green Bay beats Minnesota, Green Bay beats Detroit, San Francisco loses to Seattle. That's it. Green Bay gets the one seed. And again, it would go through Lambeau at that point. If you're looking at worst case scenario, how they would potentially get the sixth seed, basically it's this. Green Bay loses twice, Minnesota wins twice. So Minnesota beats Green Bay, Minnesota beats Chicago, and then uh, Green Bay loses to Detroit. If that were to take place, Green Bay would end up as the sixth seed, uh, and they would have to go on the road for three games in order to potentially make it to the Super Bowl. So those are your best case and worst case scenarios. If you look again a little bit deeper at those 32 potential outcomes, 16 of them, half of them end up with a first round bye. 10 of them end up at home versus Minnesota in the wild card round. One of them ends up at home versus Seattle in the wild card round. One of them ends up against the 49ers in the wild card round at home. Uh, two end up playing at Minnesota and two end up playing at New Orleans. Both of those, yeah, again, in the wild card round. So uh, again, really quick recap, 16 would end at a bye, 10 at home versus Minnesota, one at home versus Seattle, one at home versus the 49ers, two on the road versus Minnesota, two on the road versus New Orleans. Those are the potential outcomes of those 32 possible scenarios. So I think maybe the the question that I was asking at least at this point is all right so what happens if all of the favorites win you know uh you know some of these should be probably low hanging fruit packers over the lions saints over the panthers vikings over the bears what happens if the favorites win these games well you start you know unfortunately in the idea that the vikings would be beating the packers on sunday night football so again hopefully that's not the case uh, but that's the favorite you know minnesota is favored in that game the packers would beat the lions the saints would beat the panthers and the vikings would beat the bears and then you pretty much have a toss-up game between Seattle and San Francisco. What you would end up in that scenario is with the Green Bay Packers winning the NFC North, getting the three seed, and facing the loser of San Francisco and Seattle from Sunday night football in the first round of the playoffs in that wild card round. So uh, again, if the favorites were to win, if Minnesota beats Green Bay, Green Bay beats Detroit, New Orleans uh, beats Carolina, and Minnesota beats Chicago, you end up with Green Bay as the three seed at home at Lambeau against either Seattle or San Francisco, whoever loses that last game of the regular season on Sunday night football next week. I know that's a lot of, uh, of crazy scenarios. I know there's a lot of different things that could happen out there, but if you kind of really narrow it down, I, I think there's really four likely scenarios, and I'm not trying to complicate this anymore. And again, I know this doesn't always necessarily lend itself best to a podcast, but narrow it down this way. If you really take the three double-digit favorites out of this equation, Green Bay beating Detroit next week, uh, Minnesota beating Chicago next week, and New Orleans beating uh, Carolina next week, if you take those three likely um, outcomes of next week, there's really only four options available. And I, I think it's fairly safe to say that next week, Green Bay, New Orleans, and Minnesota are going to win those particular games. So if that's the case, four possible outcomes. If Green Bay and San Francisco were to win, again, that would be Green Bay versus Minnesota this week, San Francisco versus Seattle next week, Green Bay would end up with the two seed. Should Green Bay and Seattle win, Green Bay gets the one seed. 
Minnesota and San Francisco wins. Green Bay plays at home versus Seattle. Minnesota and Seattle wins. Green Bay plays at home versus the 49ers. So that's a lot to take in. I know there's a ton of different scenarios out there. Again, they can still get the one, the two, the three, or the six seed. Likely looking at the two or the three. Couple, uh, you know, scenarios where they could get the one or the six, but a lot of different scenarios, a lot of different games that could take place. But Green Bay, again, still has everything in their hands. And I think the really nice thing to also think of if you're a Packer fan is that if they win their next two games, if they beat Minnesota and if they beat Detroit, they're going to at minimum end up at that number two line and they're going to get that by and they're going to be able to kind of go from there. So there's, there's a lot at play here. And there's a lot of different scenarios where Green Bay could go on a run or get eliminated, however you want to look at it. But I do believe that potentially getting that that first round by may mean more to Green Bay uh, than other teams. If you look at the last, you know, couple months of the season, really, you know, since their, uh, you know, since their massive run of home games to begin the season, uh, they've spent a lot of time traveling and on the road. And uh, it was nice that they had the late bye week, but if they can get that additional week off and then, and then play from Lambeau, at least as the two seed, and then see what happens, whether they would play at home or on the road for that last game. uh, I do think getting some time back in Green Bay, back at Lambeau, especially after back-to-back road games against Minnesota and Detroit. If they have to all of a sudden go on the road again in the worst-case scenario, uh, I think that would be a major disadvantage uh, regardless of who they play. And I just think that that's, of course, going to be a recipe for failure. But they went out. Uh, they have a Minnesota team without Dalvin Cook. Uh, and, and really, Minnesota doesn't have a ton to play for. Yes, they could move up to the five seed. Yes, they could theoretically move up to the three or even the two seed in a in a really crazy scenario. But in all likelihood, if Green Bay beats Detroit next week, their options are either the five seed or the six seed. And ultimately, they have to go on the road in three straight games regardless. And you could say that it's much better to go on the road to Philadelphia than maybe it would be against Green Bay or one of the other teams that would end up on the number three line. But uh, I think I don't think Minnesota's thinking that way, and it's not like they're going to take Green Bay for granted. But they've clinched a playoff berth, and in all likelihood, they're going to end up either as the five seed or the six seed, probably the six seed. And you can already see that they're starting to make some of these decisions on players like Dalvin Cook and, and potentially Madison uh, to you know ne- the, on Monday Night Football to to maybe rest those players and save them for the playoffs because they don't probably have a ton to play for. So this is a big opportunity for Green Bay going into Minnesota and trying to pick up that win. In the end, we are down to 28 games left in this 2019-2020 regular season and playoffs. You've got the Monday night football game, Packers versus Vikings. You have 16 games uh, next Sunday. You've got the four wildcard games, the four divisional games, the two championship games, and then the Super Bowl 28 games total left in the season, which seems absolutely crazy to say. The good news is that Green Bay will at minimum play in three of those 28 games, uh, and they could theoretically be in as many as uh, six of those 28 games. So 
you could almost end in a scenario where uh, for the the rest of the season, for every five games that are played, you know, Green Bay is basically in one. So uh, it, it's going to be a really interesting end of this season. Green Bay has everything out in front of them. Uh, again, you could end up anything from the one to the six seed. You could go end up uh, playing a lot of games at Lambeau. You could play a lot of games on the road. But the most important thing at this point, at this juncture, is that Green Bay is still in play uh, to win a Super Bowl. And that still seems, after two straight years of missing the playoffs, and bringing in a lot of new faces, not only on the coaching staff, but on the roster. Uh, you know, again, you've got the the four big free agents. You've got a massive draft class. Uh, it's it's really something to behold that they're in the position that they are right now. Have the ability to go thirteen and three uh, at best, and eleven and five at worst. And uh, these last two divisional games, they're four and zero in the division so far. And these last two divisional games are really going to tell a lot of the story and how they set up their success through the remainder of the regular season and, and really heading into the playoffs. Speaking of some of those those trends and how they're kind of going into the playoffs, again, I'm sure most of you know at this point, uh, I grade every player on every single play throughout the course of the entire season. And around this time, one of the things that I really like taking a look at are some of the players that are that are trending up and trending down. You know, we know some of the players that started the season off, uh, you know, not so great, Geronimo Allison certainly being one of those. Uh, but, you know, you start looking at, you know, going into the playoffs, who are the players that are starting to maybe heat up, maybe some of the players that are starting to cool down a little bit. So I looked at, uh, you know, the top three, the bottom three on both offense and defense through the course of just the last month, the last four regular season games heading into Minnesota. Uh, the the number one player on defense still is Darius Smith. He is playing at an incredibly high level. I noted in my Grading the Pack article this week that uh, he had his second lowest graded, you know, week uh, of the season this year, uh, this last week against Chicago. He was still plus 0.3 in that game. So he was still well in the positive, and that was his second lowest graded game of the season, which is just beyond crazy. And it's, it's really incredible to see how well he is playing in the high level that he's played at through throughout the entirety of this this season so far and again you look at the top uh, you know players over the last four weeks both on offense and defense Zadarius Smith is well out in front over the past month uh, number two on my list and this is really the big one and that's Kenny Clark and again this is just my defensive list right now uh, but Kenny Clark has really started to put it together plus 4.3 over the course of the last four weeks this last week he was a absolute monster against Chicago on the interior of the defense uh, really he could not be stopped he was solid not only in the run but against the pass and I noted this week again on Twitter and in and in the grading the pack article that that this defense goes as Kenny Clark goes and uh, I noted you know basically when he's grading well they're allowing about 17 points per game and when he's grading not as great they're allowing about 24 points per game so uh, it's it's really been an incredible story Blake Martinez grades better generally when when Kenny Clark grades better you see some of the players like Tyler Lancaster and Dean Lowry starting to play better because Kenny Clark is taking a lot of the pressure off of the players around him. And I think you really start looking at some of the the pressure that, you know, Mike Pettin's bringing. It's a lot of four-man rushes. And the reason that that is, is Kenny Clark is starting to be that disruptor in the middle of the defense, pushing pockets in. And you've got Zadarius Smith and Preston Smith coming off the edge. And we've seen multiple times over the course of the last couple of weeks, especially where pockets are just collapsing, four-man rush and collapse pockets from all angles. Rashawn Gary's starting to play a little bit better. Dean Lowry's playing better. So this is a, a very potent front four at the moment and a big part of that 
course, Zedarius, of course, Preston, but the way that Kenny Clark's been playing over the last four weeks has gone a long way in bringing that up a whole nother level. And you can talk, you know, uh, you know, not and not be wrong about some of the easier quarterbacks that Green Bay has played, not only on the season, but again, over the course of the last three weeks where that defense has kind of started to get right. Again, you know, it's not a, it's not exactly a gauntlet, you know, when you're going through, through Daniel Jones and Mitch Trubisky and, and Dwayne Haskins, but they took care of business and how those players pressure the quarterback at, at least from what I saw, uh, was very little to do with what the actual quarterbacks were doing. Zedarius and, and Kenny Clark, especially, they were just going through offensive linemen, and that's going to translate regardless of what quarterback they're playing against. So that is a very positive sign. And then my third highest graded defender for the last four weeks has been Adrian Amos. So he's been another player that's been just fantastic throughout the course of the year, and he's showing no signs of slowing down whatsoever. Maybe the most positive thing that I can say about the the defense, especially, is that over the last four weeks, there hasn't really been anyone that's graded very poorly at all. Tremont Williams has taken a little bit of a step back. You saw this past week, he had the holding penalty uh, that really kind of kept a drive alive. He's at negative uh, 1.35 over the course of the last four weeks. That's not an egregious score by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, he was playing really great football through about the first six to eight weeks of the season. And you have seen him uh, start to slow down, maybe hit a little bit of a decline over the course of the last four to six weeks. Again, it's not to say that he's playing bad. That score is not a, a bad score, but you you know it, it's noteworthy that he's kind of been uh, the lowest graded defender over the course of the last month. And then you've got you know two players that aren't even grading poorly at all. Montrevious Adams negative 0.5, Ibrahim Campbell negative 0.2. That's nothing. That's those are neutral scores. Um, you know Adams may be a little bit worse because he barely plays, so a negative 0.5 is a little bit more uh, you know worrisome when, when you're not playing that many snaps, but even still, these aren't integral players to your defense. They're not playing a ton of snaps. Campbell's certainly playing more as of late, but if you're if you're second and third worst player over the course of the last month are Montrevious Adams and Ibrahim Campbell, and they're not even grading that poorly, that is a very strong sign. And uh, again, it's going to be important to see how this this defense holds up against better quarterbacks. They're going to see a, certainly a quarterback that's been playing better over the course of the, the second half of the season in Kirk Cousins, and this will be a good opportunity to see how they can hold up against that sort of offense and, and to see if this defense uh, really is kind of legit again. They've still given up some yards, no question about it, but uh, they've, they've really held from a point production standpoint, still got their turnovers, and that's going to amount to wins more often than not. From an offensive standpoint, uh, may really be interesting to hear that, again, over the last month, Alan Lazard is my number one rated player on offense, and you don't really see any any really great grades here. You know, Lazard is basically point you know, or plus uh, 2.0. He's at a plus 1.95 technically, but uh, he, he's he's playing well. I really like what I continue to see on tape from Alan Lazard. David Bakhti is, Bakhtiari is number two, uh, so that's a positive sign. He he did go through a little bit of a stretch where he didn't really seem like himself. Even a, a plus 1.65 and being the second highest rated player on offense is still a, a little bit down for him for for how dominant you know he's been over the course of the last couple seasons, but. Uh, it's still a really positive sign, and, and he's holding up much better. And uh, he and Bulaga and Lindsley were my three highest graded players on offense against Chicago. So really great to see the the offensive line, and especially David Bakhtiari, uh, starting to play back to normal. And then number three on offense over the course of the last month, uh, Devontae Adams and Brian Bulaga tied for that third spot. So uh, both of them playing some pretty good football as well. 
From a bottom three standpoint, Alex Light, negative 3.55, had the the really tough performance uh, when he was uh, pushed into duty uh, four games ago or the the start of that stretch. Uh, Jimmy Graham, negative 2.0, and Billy Turner, negative 1.95. I, I think, you know, we've gotten to the point where we know what Jimmy Graham is. And I think the positive here is that, you know, he's playing about 25-ish, maybe 30 snaps a game. And they're not asking him to go out and play 60, 70 snaps a game and, and be that type of player. They're, they're really st- spreading the wealth among the tight ends. Since Tanyan and Sternberger came back, uh, you're seeing those two get mixed in more with the tight ends more often. Mercedes Lewis is playing more snaps, and to an extent, Lewis has kind of become the de facto number one tight end for this offense. He's been their best blocker. He's not going to be a dynamic receiver, but he's been their best tight end, and and he certainly is deserving of the majority of the snaps. And uh, Billy Turner, you're still basically looking at a massive upgrade from what they had a season ago. Over the course of the year, he's been pretty close to a net neutral player, slight negative. I think he's exactly what they expected him to be. Uh, I don't think that they came in and thought, you know, Billy Turner is going to be one of the top guards in the NFL, uh, but he does a lot of good things for the majority of the game. You don't notice him, which is a really good sign. He's going to give up about, you know, two to three really bizarre pressures per game where he just gets flat beat. And, uh, you know, sometimes in the run game, you know, again, he, there's a couple mental lapses here and there. He's also usually one of the ones that has a couple of the best blocks of the game. He just has the raw strength and the raw athleticism where every once in a while he will just maul people. So you'd like to see more of that, but we're at the point in Billy Turner's career where he is what he is. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not a bad thing. And I know he's, he's still, uh, you know, bottom three over the course of the last month and you'd like to see him bounce back a little bit. But again, I think they got exactly what they expected. And I think certainly Green Bay can still win with Billy Turner starting and playing significant snaps at right guard, even if he's grading a little bit in the negative. Listen, offensive linemen, very tough to find in the NFL. So uh, a player like Billy Turner has a lot of value. And uh, you again, you'd like to see him get a little bit more closer to neutral. Negative two over a four-week period is a little bit on the lower side. Had some tough matchups. Akeem Hicks certainly this week is is one that you're going to remember. Uh, and Hicks is just such an incredible player. But uh, we'll see if Turner can kind of get things turned around over the course of these last couple games as Green Bay heads into the playoffs. And my other big note this week from migrating the pack piece was just the play of the rookies. It was really, really great to see Rashawn Gary, Darnell Savage, Elton Jenkins, and Jay Sternberger all great in the positive this week. All of them combined played almost 200 snaps. Uh, of course, Elton Jenkins, Darnell Savage, the, the ones playing the majority of the snaps there. But Rashawn Gary had one of his best games of the season, his second sack, thought he set the edge well. You can see him starting to piece the puzzle together more and more as the season goes on, you can see Mike Smith doing work there. You can still see the gears turning, right? So it's not a finished product. It's not It's not natural to him yet where he's just kind of getting up to the defensive lineman and he's got this repertoire of, of different moves that he can attack uh, offensive linemen with. But you start seeing him string combinations together. Uh, this week, I thought he did that on, on his uh, sack and it's starting to pay dividends. And you talk about those four rookies as a whole, this is a this is a major opportunity for this rookie class to really start making an impact on the here and now. There's zero question that Rashawn Gary, Darnell Savage, Elton Jenkins, and Jay Sternberger need to be a really huge part of the Packers' future, and I think Kingsley Kiki is going to be a big part of that as well. I, I stand by the fact I think Kiki is going to be a very good player on this def- Packers' defensive line uh, over the, maybe maybe not even next year, but I think you know the the third and fourth year of his contract, and that certainly wouldn't surprise me if he started seeing. 
a lot more out of him uh, even as soon as next year. But focusing on the top four, Gary Savage, Jenkins, and Sternberger are going to need to be a big, 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 massive part of this Packers future. But if those four can make a really top-end impact through the remainder of this season. We've seen what Elton Jenkins is capable of. He's hit a little bit of a wall over the course of the last four games. This week was a positive grade, uh, but you've seen him uh, get beat a little bit more often than he was earlier in the season. Teams are kind of throwing the kitchen sink at him. They know that if they're just basically playing him one-on-one and Elton Jenkins gets his hands on on, uh, opposing defenders, that they're basically going to be shut down and Jenkins is going to control that battle. So they're using a lot of different blitzes, a lot of stunts. They're trying to throw a lot at him so that he has to think, and they're trying to beat him quickly or with a you know a first step or or really by by blitzing him and making him think and maybe do, having a mental error rather than just ha- facing him in a phone booth because that's a recipe for for success for Green Bay is if they can get him one on one with defensive linemen in a phone booth. Jenkins is going to win that more often than not. So uh, Jenkins, though, uh, again, and and Savage and Sternberger and Gary, if those guys really get going, and if Savage can start having the pressures like we saw the, on the one pressure last week, you combine that with Zadarius and Clark on the inside, Preston on the opposite side, it just becomes so incredibly tough to stop. So I would love to see Gary you know, start converting, converting speed to power at a little bit higher level. I think he has all the traits to be able to do that. You haven't seen it a ton yet. He doesn't need sacks to make an impact. If he can just use that strength and athleticism to collapse pockets on the outside, let Clark and Preston and Zadarius kind of do the rest of the work, that could be a really big weapon for the remainder of this season. Darnell Savage went through a tough stretch the last three games. He's been really good. And you had to Jay Sternberger again, have his first uh, really nice game in the positive this week. And he continues to flash on tape. Hasn't had a ton of, uh, you know, football's come his way yet. But he's in the last two weeks both gotten open on deep kind of wheel uh, or um, you know nine routes uh, to the sideline, and uh, they you know Rogers didn't see him on either occasion. They're going to start looking for that route because Sternberger has the athleticism to really be a mismatch on the field, especially if he gets matched up against a slower safety or linebacker. Uh, he can take them to school. His speed is very very evident on tape. So if that rookie class, the top of that rookie class can be a really uh, big impact unit for this team at at the last part of this season. That is a massive win for this team, and that could propel them over the top, especially if they get, you know, Jay Sternberg. If they can get some big play out of that tight end position, man, would that be an absolute game changer? So really keeping my eyes on those four through the remainder of the season. We spent the majority of the week uh, really breaking down Vikings Packers. I'm not going to go into it in too much detail. I'll give a couple of my quick thoughts here, and then I'm going to get you out of here. Uh, the, the big news, of course, Dalvin Cork, uh, Delvin Cook being injured, and uh, that's going to be a really big opportunity for Green Bay. Minnesota is going to be able to run the football, and, and certainly Mike Boone and that Minnesota offense is, is going to be very potent no matter what, but not seeing one of the most explosive runners in all of football right now, and Dalvin Cook is certainly a big victory for Green Bay before the game even takes place. Uh, so that's a win. I really think this comes down to a couple different factors. You know how they handle the atmosphere at US Bank Stadium. Even though Minnesota already clinched the playoff berth and maybe doesn't have a ton to play for, that is going to be a raucous atmosphere. Uh, Green Bay has not yet won in that stadium. Uh, they can go out and they can clinch an NFC North. They can go five and zero in the division. They can keep their uh, really, you know, again, assuming they beat Detroit, 
tomorrow they beat Minnesota or today as you're listening to this, they get that number two seed if they can take care of business against Detroit. So Green Bay has a lot to play for, how they can handle the emotions of that game. Uh, There's likely going to be a point at some point where Minnesota takes a a lead in that game if I were a betting man and uh, how they react to that and uh, how they react to the crowd's uh, you know, pumped up volume and uh, the horn and the whole nine yards, I think is going to play a really key factor. How Daniil Hunter and that defense kind of get off the line of scrimmage against the Packers tackles. I think there's going to be a really big change. I think the field played a little bit slow last week in you know, Green Bay and Chicago, super cold weather. I think that slowed down the edge rushers, especially. You saw uh, you know, guys like Zadarius Smith, Preston Smith, Khalil Mack, some really good pass rushers not have their best weeks. I think it was a slower surface and I think that helped the offensive linemen. It's going to be a big adjustment going from that to going against the the fast track at uh, you know in Minnesota. And again, all of a sudden now you're going against Daniel Hunter, that whole crew. I think how they handle that's going to be super, super important. How they handle the, the line of scrimmage on both sides of the football, but I really think the defensive line needs to set the tone. This is, to me, I, I know Kirk Cousins has been playing better, but this is still a situation where you want to control the line of scrimmage, take their run game away, take their play action game away, and get into a situation where Kirk Cousins has got to drop back and pass 40, 50 times a game. I know Thielen and, and Diggs are really the studs of this offense and the studs of the team, but uh, make Kirk Cousins beat you. And uh, if you can make him throw 45, 50 times a game, I think that's a solid recipe for success. And I think you can do that by controlling the line of scrimmage and uh, really taking away the run early. And again, hopefully that takes away play action. And uh, hopefully then you can tee off on the quarterback. And that's where Zadarius and Preston. On the flip side, we talked about the fast track for uh, the Vikings defensive lineman. Well, it's certainly going to help Zadarius and Preston and Kenny Clark and hopefully Rashawn Gary and Kyler Fackrell and everyone else across that defensive line. But if they can really control that line of scrimmage early and often, I think that's going to really set them up for success later in the game. Got to lock in on Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen. This is a really, really big game for for Jair Alexander and Kevin King. It'll be interesting to see again how they match up with those two if they they leave them kind of out on an island. Uh, Either one against Kevin King is a mismatch. Both of them are so good in and out of their breaks. And, you know, Kevin King wants to get in a straight line battle with you. Uh, He wants to use his length and his strength and his, uh, you know, his speed uh, vertically to try to press you to the sidelines and make you run vertically up the field. And then that's where, again, Kevin King can win. Uh, but those two receivers are so shifty in and out of their breaks. If if Minnesota gets them matched up where you know they get two way goes against Kevin King, or if, if they can get some some deeper in breaking routes and Kevin King's not able to control them at the line of scrimmage, that's a really tough matchup. And and specifically how Kevin King matches up in this game, I think is going to be a really big determining factor. And then. This is going to be of no surprise, and I know I'm kind of taking some of the low-hanging fruit here, but often these are, you know, the more obvious ones are, are a lot of times the right ones, and, and that's just establishing Aaron Jones again. Again, you're also playing on the fast track. I think that can benefit Aaron Jones. You don't want to have to have Aaron Rodgers throw against that defense, you know, 40, 50 times. It's kind of the same thing. If they can get uh, Aaron Jones going, if they can get him involved early and often, use the screen game, get him involved out of the backfield as a passing threat. I would love to to see some two running back sets with both Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones on the field at the same time. 
I think you can do a lot of unique stuff out of that formation because Jamal Williams can really be such a good lead blocker if you want to run some sweep action as well. I, I just think there's so many things that they could do that I would love to see a little bit more of that formation. And I think you go with a Mercedes Lewis with Williams and um, Jones in the backfield and then Devante and Lazard at wide receiver, especially if you get Lazard packed in tight. He's such a good blocker as well. Uh, you can go so many different directions. If they go heavy, you know, you can spread everyone out wide, spread Jones and Williams out wide, try to get some mismatches. Uh, if they go light, if they go, you know, nickel or dime against you, you can kind of almost use Jamal Williams as a pseudo fullback. You got your best blocking tight end, Mercedes Lewis, one of your best blocking receivers in, in uh, Alan Lazard, maybe get some action going with Devontae Adams to, to try to draw the defense. And I think you can have a lot of success that way. So get the running backs going, specifically get Aaron Jones going. And I think that would be another huge key to success for Green Bay. Of course, last time they played, Kirk Cousins was held to 14 of 32 passing for 230 yards, a touchdown and two interceptions. Uh, you know, Minnesota put up 16 points. But if you look at their two touchdown plays, uh, on the long play to, to Stefan Diggs, Jair Alexander should have intercepted that pass. That was like a 50-yard touchdown to Stefan Diggs where Jair Alexander had it covered and it literally went right through his arms. Not only should it have not been a touchdown, not only should 50 of those 230 yards have been taken away, but it should have probably been zero touchdowns, three interceptions instead of one touchdown, two interceptions. And uh, you also look at the other big touchdown, 75-yard touchdown to Dalvin Cook. Uh, he got in the open field one-on-one against Darnell Savage. Savage took a poor angle on it. Cook burst right by him and took it 75 yards to the end zone. First and foremost, Savage has been much more sound in that regards. He hasn't given up those type of plays. And of course, number two, uh, Delvin Cook not in the game. So uh, if if Green Bay can hold them similarly defensively to what they did in week two, uh, I think Green Bay has a lot of opportunities to take this game. Uh, Mike Patton was fantastic in that game. He was, he was one step ahead. And I think that's always got to be one of the frustrating things for a defensive coordinator is when you put your defenders in a situation to succeed and they score two touchdowns off of plays where you should have stopped them. Uh, Mike Patton had the game called correctly. Uh, of course, it comes down to execution more than it does coaching, but uh, that's a play that Jair Alexander is going to make more often than not. That's a play Darnell Savage is going to make more often than not. So I think that that potentially, if they can play very similarly to what they did in week two, could could also set Green Bay up for success as they try to take the NFC North division. This is going to be another question of, is this the same story for the Packers as a whole? You know, Green Bay wins games really by being very successful with red zone and uh, offense and red zone defense. They really limit uh, turnovers on their side of the ball, force turnovers when the, you know, opposing offense is on the field and their net quarterback rating. You know, more often than not, Aaron Rodgers is having a better quarterback than whoever it is that they're playing against. And you look at red zone uh, efficiency, both offensively and defensively, the turnover rate or the turnover battle and net quarterback rating, those are three of the biggest uh, statistics when it comes to being indicators of winning football games. And that's why, you know, regardless of Green Bay's flaws, if they control those aspects of the game, they're going to win more often than not. That's why they are 11 and three, even with some of the flaws that they have in other areas of their game. The issue has been when they haven't done those things well, when they haven't been good in the red zone, when they haven't got turnovers or when they're turning the ball over themselves, or you know, if, if the other quarterback is having a good day or Rodgers is having a bad day, 
they haven't been able to overcome those things because there's those other flaws within their offense and defense that kind of manifest themselves. And we saw it specifically in uh, both the Charger game and the 49er game. They couldn't do anything. You know, they they lost the things that would normally have them win football games, and they didn't have any counterpunch to that, which is a concern. Uh, but at the same token, if they control the things that have allowed them to be a winning football team, they can still win games. And if they can improve on some of their offensive and deficiency, or excuse me, offense and defense efficiency statistics, especially between the twenties, they can become much more effective as a overall team. That's how they make the run. But that's going to be the biggest piece of the story, not only against Minnesota. Minnesota, but as the season goes on, can they keep the things going that they're doing well? And can they improve upon, especially the offensive and defensive efficiency and some of those explosive plays that they continue to give up on defense? They can start improving on those, still win the turnovers, still force problems by the opposing quarterback, still be good in the red zones. They can win a lot of football games and they can win They can win out. They can legitimately do that, especially if they show that they can improve in some of the areas that they've been lacking in so far. As far as the prediction goes, I like Vikings in a tight game. Luckily for you guys that are listening, uh, I have not been great on predictions. I had one score completely 100% accurate with a Green Bay win. Uh, Other than that, I've been probably hovering around 500. So uh, I've picked the Packers to lose. I picked them to lose last week against Chicago, and I have not been super successful in my predictions. So hopefully this is another one where I am wrong. I do think this game could easily go either way. I think Green Bay has more to play for in this game than Minnesota. I think Green Bay is due for a signature win. Although I guess you could probably say the same about Minnesota. It's not like they have that signature win on file either, but uh, this is going to be a really entertaining game. And uh, I'm really looking forward to just sitting down watching a fantastic Monday night football game against two bitter rivals. And and this should really be a fun, fantastic, close game uh, that I'm very, very much looking forward to. That does it all uh, for me today. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we're we're winding down on the NFL season. It seems absolutely crazy to say that we're going to be entering week 17 uh, just six short days away, and uh, that's going to be the end of the regular season. That seems absolutely crazy. The season has absolutely flown by. I thank you so incredibly much for following along all season. It has been such a pleasure to be able to continue to do this podcast. And you guys have been great when we've had mailbag episodes, you guys have chimed in with questions. So thank you so much. I hope however you celebrate your holiday season, uh, that you and you know, you have a safe and happy holidays from all of us here at the Packaday podcast. Enjoy Packers Vikings, enjoy Packers Lions next week. Then it's on to the playoffs. Thank you again for your support. And I'm going to leave you as always with a big go pack go. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. 
That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.